Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris. This is a place where we interview people about their journeys from backpacking to expeditions. And today we have Tim Taylor on the podcast, a Royal Marines reservist uh, slash photographer slash expeditioner <laughs> who has some amazing experiences. So it's great fun to dive in and just ask him a few questions and see what he thinks. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, follow, share it with a friend. But with no further delays, let's just get straight into the podcast. So hello, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good. Thank you very much for having me on, Chris. It's a pleasure to meet you over, over Skype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're safely social distance interviewing as all of the podcasts so far have been, which would be a, a bit weird because if uh, if lockdown gets lifted soon and I have some episodes that shifted up the timeline, then we're going to have some Skype ones in October, November, December, but then like, you know, next month potentially uh, an in-person interview. So uh, forgive me for the order, everyone listening. Um, so this should be quite a good session. So for... Um, for people who don't know, as someone who places photography before adventure, Tim has explored beneath the ocean as a dive master in Mexico, all the way to some of the tallest points on earth in the Himalayas. Placing learning from others and producing work as a priority on expeditions, Tim's foundations began in 2007 when joining the Royal Marines Reserves. And since then, his expedition and photography career has taken him to beautiful and exciting places from bordering Taliban territory in Pakistan to entering the Patagonia adventure race. He has won multiple awards and is a member of the Royal Ge Geographical Society and more. So it is a huge pleasure to have you on. And thank you for coming on. I'm looking forward to delving deeper. No, thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting to you. So I thought we'd kick it off with mindset. How has your experience with the Royal Marines Reserves affected your mindset on expeditions on Civvy Street? I think it allows you to suffer and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is quite a good attribute to have in the mountains. Um, yeah, so for me, like photography has always been my passion and the thing I wanted to do. Um, and that's always taken different forms throughout my life. Um, it really started off more with the water and diving. And you mentioned Mexico there. Um, mm. And then in, in 2007, I was going to join the Royal Marines as a regular. Um, ended up joining the reserves and then going on an expedition to Mexico for three months. Um, and the photography really started to take off then. And then I realized that actually that was probably a better lifestyle for me. Um, but yeah, I think like the training with the Marines, it, it allows you to yeah suffer. Like the, the skill set you get um, from being in the mountains and the Arctic, all these kind of places where, you know, you, you put under pressure. Um, yeah, I mean, the skill set you take away from that is, is, is useful. Um, and obviously being able to carry heavy weights around the mountains for, for months on end comes in handy as a photographer as well. Do, do you find you stay in that mindset or does your civilian, I'm being very stereotypical people uh, here of civilians, there are lots of civilians who are just nails, but um, do, do you find the two mindsets blend nicely or just military or do you sometimes find yourself want, wanting that comfort more than cracking on? Um, yeah, it took a little bit of adjustment, actually, because obviously like, my first expeditions were with the Marines and through the military. Um, so whether that's training in Norway um, or my first big expedition was to the Himalaya in 2014, and that was through the Marines as well. Um, so like working with teams in the military, 
you kind of everyone's on the same page and you know what to expect and everyone's had similar training um and then adjusting to going into the more you know working with civilians on, on expeditions and being part of a team with civilians um it's quite different in a way um because yeah i mean the training is very different it's mainly things like in the tent like tent routine and things like that just having stuff squared away which uh, Admin. military is just expected in, in, in civilian street not not so much <laughs> yeah yeah and actually on a similar note but a very a much less exposure i basically uh, all of the adventures i've done before being an adult were were in public services and we were taught wholly by ex-military people yeah so we at, from 16 to 18 we were taught this mindset of just cracking on i remember the first time someone taught me that you know the round the bend routine that you can do with like kids which is oh the, the next break's just around that bend when we're like canoeing and then it's like okay sorry it's just around the next bend and you just keep doing that 20 times <laughs> um, and then i found i found now you know i've never been in the military never been through basic training and yet i find when i'm with other people they want to stop and have a break more than me and i just want to crack on yeah um yeah. And then my friends who actually have been in the military, then they push me beyond me. But anyway, um, yeah, so it's interesting to know. And um, and thinking back to your time with the Marines as well, uh, which you're still technically a reservist, were there any key moments that helped shape who you are today? Um, I, I think the opportunity, especially for, for like I mentioned earlier, for the Makudo expedition in 2014, mm. that was a real key turning point for me as a photographer um, and that came about directly through through being with the Royal Marine Reserves. Um, yeah, so that, 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 that's been life-changing for me. It really has. I and mean, obviously, like the training beforehand, and that stands you in good stead um, to, to go and pursue expeditions in the mountains or wherever it may be. But yeah, 2014, really, like getting, getting selected onto that expedition, um, yeah, changed my life as a photographer as well. That was really the start of my career as, as a photographer. So. Yeah, as you can imagine. And if, if you're saying that's the start of your career as a photographer then um then i look forward to talking about lisa norris uh, later on because if that was the start those photos are incredible but um uh but, but yeah with the makalu expedition was it just the whole thing from start to finish that really impacted you or can you think back to some particular moments that struck you um yeah the, the whole the whole way it came about to be honest was mm. was, was quite random i was actually skiing with, with the royal marines out in the navy ski championships in a in teen um, and got a, a message through the Mountaineering Club, um, the Royal Marines Mountaineering Club, and they were looking for people to go on to a, an expedition um, to put a, a new route the, up the southeast ridge of Makalu. So to try and do the southeast ridge of Makalu, um, which is the, the fifth highest mountain in the world. It's about 10 miles from Everest. Um, small team to go up there and do that. And I'd been to the Himalaya in 2010. That was my first Himalayan expedition experience there. Um, and yeah, that was kind of in the deep end for me. I went to climb Tarpu Chuli and Singdi Chuli there, two uh, 6,000 plus meter peaks there. Um, but my mountaineer experience before them was literally kind of, you know, up and down Edward Slabs a couple of times. Um, so it was a proper in at the deep end experience. Um, but because I'd been to the Himalaya and we summited a couple of peaks out there, we got this application through from, from the mountaineering club um, and just put an application in thinking I wouldn't get anywhere. Uh, a couple of days later, <laughs> got an email back saying, yeah, we're running a training weekend in Scotland, like come up um, and, you know, participate in the selection weekend. So I literally got back from the Alps, picked up my uh, ice axes on the way up to Scotland because you needed to climb grade three or four kind of winter ice. And I'd never done any like technical winter climbing. Um, so quickly booked on a, 
a three-day mountaineering course in Scotland and got got a few routes under my belt and then went across to the selection weekend and yeah, got selected onto the onto the expedition. Oh wow. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> and, and you you just mentioned as well Farpu Chuli and Singachuli quickly. I, I was gonna ask that in a bit, so we might as well cover it now. Um I did actually want to find out more about that first expedition. Uh it, it as a broader spectrum and you, I know you said it's it was like getting chucked in the deep end, but how was the whole trip? I say trip, like it's a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> that was the expedition. Yeah, again, transformative for me. Like, it, it, yeah, it really was. Um, just like just passed out of training and um, a Green Bray with the Royal Marines. Um, and then a guy I met through, through training with the Marines who was a mountaineer. He was like, you should, you should come to the Himalaya. Um, we're going to climb a couple of peaks out there. It's going to set about planning this trip. Um, so we spent about six, six weeks out there. Um, yeah, and that was really again a turning point as a you know on a career to being a professional photographer. Um, it was kind of heading out there, like not really knowing what you're doing in terms of like mountaineering, but learning along the way, and then being with good people, surrounding yourself with good people as well. Um, but that was definitely the trip where it was you know I was going to come back from that and be a photographer no matter what. Like just the, the Himalaya just had a profound experience. Yeah, on me it was just an incredible place. Um, and- we're going to talk about the Karakoram in a bit, but just uh, just something I'm thinking of now. A lot of people say the Karakoram is beautiful. A lot of people say the Himalaya are beautiful. Did you have a particular, just in regards to beauty, did you have a particularly favourite area over each one? Um, I think uh, out and out beauty, I think the Himalaya is hard to beat. The Karakoram's got such a rugged um, feel to it. it a bit it's more hard. raw and barren. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah really good words to describe it like and hard work a lot of moraine um in the places we were anyway um and the himalaya on, on the annapurna side it's beautiful and lush and you know you're going through like rainforests on the way up to the mountains basically for a couple of days um yeah i think for overall we just the beautiful kind of scenery the himalaya for me is still yeah probably my favorite place on the planet perfect now going back to the uh the questions we are around before we we quickly dove into the himalaya for a moment um you you have earned your Green Beret, which is just nails <laughs> as it is. But you also have the luxury of being on Civvy Street and, and being a photographer. So as a, as a comparison question, uh, in, in civilian, quote, lifestyle, can you think of any expeditions or conversations that particularly impacted who you are today? Uh, I think probably 2008 there. Uh, so I was uh, always pursued photography, but in, uh, just at the end of 2007, really, I'd kind of been working on a job that I wasn't particularly interested in and kind of settled into quite a comfy routine, really, um, like company car and a <laughs> and fiance, but kind of tied to all those things as well. Um, and then, yeah, there's a specific moment in 2007 on, you know, just on one day, which really kind of like changed my perspective on things or made me kind of reawaken to what, you know, like my goals were in life. Um, and then, yeah, that, that was yeah one of those moments where I was like, you know, I'm done. Like, I'm going to write a list of the stuff I want to do. I'm going to pursue professional photography. Um, and then, yeah, the opportunity with the, the Marines came up as well. Um, quit my job, started training with the Marines, and then uh, it went out to Mexico for three months as a dive master out there, um, working on the Mesoamerican barrier reefs and gathering scientific data there, um, and also teaching people to dive and photographing in the cave systems out there. Um, so that was that was the point. Like I said, I, I was thinking of joining the Royal Marines like, as, as a full-time officer. But um, yeah, that experience in Mexico is just, you know, it was yeah, too good to pass up. I needed that to be a, a bigger part of my life. Yeah, for sure. Like, happiness is just, oh, w- within the law, is so, <laughs> is so key to, 
yeah. to, to who we are. Yeah. Now, we, we did mention Scotland um, and, and how fantastic that was in, in order to get to Magaloo. Uh, you've also been lucky enough, I say lucky loosely, uh, oh, hardworking enough to get and do training in the European Alps and also in Arctic Norway. And I was wondering, which regional trip do you think was the most beneficial to, to your mountaineering? Um, probably slightly counterintuitively would be the Arctic Arctic stuff, actually, with the Marines. Um, we, we, I did some training with the mountains, like both on, on, on my own and with the Marines. Um, but the, the stuff in Norway, just because it's so cold and the, <laughs> your skills, and when you're up there doing the, the Arctic warfare course, it's... Um, it's, it's it's not just about surviving there. You've also got to you know learn to operate there, and that's actually really useful from a photography point of view as well. Because um, if it, you know Denali, for instance, when we were on there, like minus forty for pretty much the entire time, like we were there, and just being able to not get frostbite and keep on you know maintain yourself and all those kind of things, keep your camera gear working, just those small things that add up over a month expedition, so you can keep working. Um, yeah, that's probably been like like the biggest skill I've learned really. That's actually a fantastic transferable skill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, because the mountaineering skills, I feel like you can, you can pick up, you know, relatively quickly with enough kind of experience there. Not that I'm a great mountaineer by, by any stretch of imagination. Um, but I think, yeah, especially in longer expeditions to the cold, high places, it's just that being able to look after yourself in cold places um, for a long time. Um, and that's, that's what often leads to, to success, I think. For sure. And also comforting to know that the most beneficial was the one with the military. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, be... the, yeah, the mountain leaders with the Royal Marines, like they're, yeah, they're, it's some of the best cold weather training you can get in the world. It really is. And, and the Norwegian military as well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's world class, isn't it? So perfect. And now we've already talked about Tharbuchuli and Singuchuli, so I can bypass that one. <laughs> but um, I did actually want to talk about Denali, and, and you mentioned it just now, but... Uh, just as, as a broader topic, I'd love to hear more from you about why you were going and, and what happened there. Um, so for me, that one was, so in 2014, I'd been to Makalu. In 2015, we were out in the Karakoram for a couple of couple of months on the glacier out there. And that was research-based and scientific. Um, there was a 7,500-meter peak objective there. Um, and 2016 was Patagonia. But the 2014 and 2015 expeditions were quite big, organized um, by someone else. Um, and 2016 was really where I kind of started focusing on just the photography that I wanted to do, um, organizing small teams of people and then, and then going out and spending quite a long time there. Um, and Denali was really the culmination of that. Um, so we had a four-person team um, on there for, on Denali for a month. Uh, and it was just one of those trips that we did on a shoestring budget. And I'd been inspired actually probably about five years before by Bradford Washburn and his beautiful black and white photographs. I saw them at a gallery in London. Um, and Bradford Washington was the first person to put the, the, the route up the West Buttress. West Buttress. So it's kind of, and his photographs are just absolutely stunning. So I wanted to go and kind of almost recreate, um, you know, the trip he did um, and produce some images to go into the gallery. Um, yeah, so that was, that was really the aim for me. It was purely photographic. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that was a, <laughs> a kind of a love-hate trip, that one. Um, we spent a month on the mountain, two weeks solid, pinned down in a tent. Um, big storm, by far the longest time I've spent in a tent. Um, and then after and that, the temperatures as well, you were saying were unusually colder. Yeah, well, yeah, we kind of had February temperatures, and we were there in April, I think it was. Um, yeah, it's minus thirty-five to minus forty for most of the time. 
Um, and then because we've been in the storm for so long, basically for two weeks, the temperatures had started to rise a little bit when we did make the summit push, um, mm. which, which made it feasible. But yeah, I think there's a 98% um, frostbite rate before the 1st of June um, for the people who had summited. So it was, um, but yeah, no, we did summit and, and, and didn't get frostbite. So, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a beast. We had about 200 pounds of kit each, I think. Um, so that's the, the downside of being a photographer as well. Like you're carrying all this extra stuff up there to make, you know, yeah. film, photograph, like back up, like computers, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, did you want to mention what happened with the camera? Yeah, it's a bit of a sore point, that one. <laughs> <laughs> if you're right to. The whole point of the trip for me was to get summit, summit photos of, of, of the ridge um, to take back and exhibit in London. But yeah, I managed to drop the, uh, the camera off the autobahn. <laughs> so yeah, disappeared a thousand feet down the side into a crevasse field off the autobahn after four hours of traipsing across the autobahn. But, um, yeah. But yeah, we, we did push on to the summit from then. So like two of us summited and came back down and then launched a bit of a rescue mission into the crevasse field, which is stupid <laughs> in itself, a really. crevasse field and a bit of an avalanche prone slope. Um, but as literally the whole entire trip and the fundraising, everything, you know, for me was about getting those photographs. Um, so I was determined. So Matt and I roped up and actually went back in to the crevasse field, crevasse field below the autobahn and started looking for the camera. Um, and we did actually find it, but in quite multiple bits <laughs> on the lens to start with. And then the body of the camera a couple of hundred meters away, about 20 minutes later. Um, and then feeling quite pleased, actually, that we'd like salvage something and walk back to the, uh, the high camp. Um, and then my partner, Lucy, just a bit of an offhand comment, said, if you, if you check the memory card still in the slot. Um, and I don't know, I still have no idea how it happened, but yeah, the memory card had somehow pinged out. The little door had broken and the memory card pinged out. So we got the camera, we got the lens, but this is the memory card with, uh, with Summit Ridge photos of Denali somewhere. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, it, yeah, it, interesting that you mentioned that. And it, it, it leads me on to the next question, but I also wanted to mention that I think on Denali there is a rule where you're not allowed to leave any waste. <laughs> so you could back up the roping up as a, <laughs> as, as saying that. But, um, but with Denali, I, I mentioned at the start in the introduction that you place photography over all aspects. Yeah. So as someone who, like we just said, actually did summit Denali on that trip, but you didn't manage to capture your photographic target, I wanted to know what are your thoughts and your views on your goals and whether or not you you class it as a success. Um, yeah, no, it's a really good question, actually. Uh, so I guess it's almost like the you know the opposite trip. So Makalu in twenty fourteen, we spent three months on that mountain, um, trying to put you know put a new route up the southeast ridge, climb it in its entirety, all seven kilometers of it, and we spent three months or just under three months on the mountain and, and didn't summit. Um, mm. But for me, that really kickstarted my career as a photographer. Whereas Denali, obviously, yeah, we summited, but yeah, my aim as a photographer was to get, get the Summit Ridge photos and obviously that, that didn't happen. Um, so yeah, for me, the Denali one was much more um, like gutting, really. Mm. It really kind of, it, I was aware on Makalu that photography is definitely what it was about for me being there. Like to be able to capture like the, the, the beauty of those places um, and also like, share, share some, like when we go on the expeditions, there's generally some scientific research involved um, so whether it's measuring glacial movements or anything like that, but to be able to tell that story and like bring it back to an audience um, in London or wherever it's going to be, that wouldn't necessarily hear those stories. Like that's really like the key objective to me and, and share the beauty of those places. 
Um, so yeah. yeah, Denali for me was probably more of a failure, even though we summited than uh, and Macaulay where we didn't. Yeah, that's interesting to know. But I, I suppose if you're gonna just smack it in the face with a with a dish load of positivity, all failures are positive things. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, just being in those places is um, yeah, it, it life changing. It really has. It's, it's completely changed my life, um, mm. my perspective on things like the, you know the cultures over there. Um, like that first trip into the into the Himalaya in, in 2010, um, and then coming down. So we we, we summited the Tapu Chuli and Singu Chuli peaks, but then kayak down the lower seti and through the jungle and out to the sea. And then there's this um, temple called Hindu temple called Pashupatinath. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that comes out into the Bagmati River. Mm. Um, and then seeing that kind of cycle, I just found absolutely fascinating. So for like the snowfall. Um, and mountains becoming, you know, sand and washed out to the river. Um, and at the temple, they go there, and that's where the, the, the dead are cremated and washed out to the river as well. And just that kind of whole cycle started to really fascinate me yeah, mm. as an artist and a, and a human being. So it's much more for me kind of about that, really, I guess. Um, yeah, the, the cyclicality of everything. Yeah, for sure. So we've teased the listeners enough with the topic of the Karakoram. And uh, so it's probably time time we delved into it. So what led you to go there? Um, so that was, yeah, 2015. And I just got back from Makalu. Um, we had an exhibition at the Royal Geographical Society and then won some, uh, an award in the Travel Photographer of the Year, um, which opened up some other doors. And then as all good expeditions start, started, I was uh, on LinkedIn um, and someone from the Mountaineering Club had, had posted that they were looking for someone to go to the Karakoram with. Um, it was a scientific research expedition, but they needed a photographer and a cinematographer. Um, yeah, so yeah, applied. Um, went out in London, showed the portfolio for Makalu, and then yeah, within four months, we were living on a, a glacier in the Karakoram. Wow, that's insane. But the thing is, if you've, if you, I'll link it in the show notes. The video I found on on YouTube um, for that trip is just insane and it shows quite in depth as well like the reasons why you were there looking you were looking for a, a melted glacial water basically banking up behind walls of ice essentially yeah 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 absolutely yeah glacial like, outburst floods um kind of yeah have in fact we got caught um in one when we were there um literally washing away the roads as we were going towards towards our objective in the mountains mm. um, yeah absolutely fascinating place beautiful beautiful place and beautiful beautiful people um yeah, it's, it's about 50 kilometers from the Chinese border in the northeast of Pakistan. Um, and I kind of got warned off against going there, and especially with, you know, military contacts. Um, but that no, is an incredible expedition and amazing people. Um, but yeah, we were measuring, we're, um, so the, from the satellites, the glaciers, it's called the Karakoram Anomaly, and they look like they might have been growing, but we didn't know whether they were surging or growing in volume because uh, they're moving forward from the satellite data. So we were there to ground uh, like measure from the ground and GIS survey the, the region to see whether they're gaining volume or losing volume. Um, and then, but yeah, banking up behind these big kind of dams where the glaciers surge forward and creating a flood risk for the, for the valley below. And what was the final results? Just because just I know if I was listening, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be wanting to hit the host if you didn't ask. <laughs> what, what were the final results? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, the, the, the glacier was in a, it, it wasn't surging forward. It has since, actually, in the last couple of years, there's a, a second expedition that's gone out. Um, but no, the anomaly um, from the data we were collecting and from speaking to the local people there was the glaciers are retreating quite rapidly there as well, which is, um, that's been the same everywhere. Like Makalu, yeah, uh, yeah, Karakoram, yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, 
it's happening rapidly. Yeah, I, I remember on the video they said it was uh, that your your trip in 2015 found it to be moving two and a half centimeters a day, um, uh, which uh, which I, because I'm not a geologist, I had no idea what relevance that had to to, to the yeah. end results. But I remember that fact. <laughs> <laughs> so the the opening line to a Telegraph article on the the Karakoram uh, uh, and anomaly, <laughs> if I can speak English. Um, uh, it opens up with a quote that says, there's a lot of ways to die here, which is uh, obviously used to capture attention. But it did get me thinking, uh, what? how did you mitigate risk and, and manage fear as well when you're on these kinds of expeditions? Um, yeah, most of it's planning. I re- I re- you know, that's definitely what I've learned from the last four years, five years of being away in the high mountains. Like most of the risk, I think, really can be mitigated before you've even left the country. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those are kind of learned with lessons where you've had some close calls. Um, yeah, and that was certainly the case in the Cower Forum as well. Um, yeah, just a, a dangerous place to, to, to operate. Like everything's moving all the time and it's such a dynamic environment like avalanches and rockfalls. Um, but yeah, we had quite a close call at the end of that expedition as well, actually. So we had the scientific objective where we were living and working on the glacier for about a month and a half. Um, and then we had a mountaineering objective on Yuxhengardan Sar, which is a seven and a half thousand meter peak there. Um, and as far as you know, the North Face hadn't been climbed. So that was our objective to go and climb that post-expedition or scientific research. Um, yeah, I, I unfortunately injured myself ice climbing. So it was out for, for the three weeks. Um, but two of the guys who yeah, managed to, they got to about 7,000 meters, um, but then got caught in a storm. And it all got a little bit hairy. They were up there for mm. five days longer than they should have been. Um, we were in base camp and yeah, it was, they were running out of batteries um satellite phones failing like all, all the good stuff um yeah we were very close to in fact we did actually launch a rescue so where we were in Shimshal, it's about two day walk back down to the village um so we had to go and organize a helicopter rescue which is ten thousand dollars in, in in cash to get this helicopter to fly um yeah but basically long story short but we had about five minutes worth of, of time before this helicopter was going to come and uh Try, try and make a rescue but we managed to call it off just in time and the guys radioed down that they, they'd found the way back out of the crevasse field um yeah t- and two days later they they emerged um yeah beaten and a bit skinnier before than before but uh yeah okay yeah 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 but they they made it back safely so so we can really ask for so we've this is another thing that we mentioned at the beginning a little bit so the lisa norris gallery which is where you're um for if you're listening to this podcast this year then in december you're showcasing some of your work there but she describes in the article on you that uh, your photography passion as lying in the intersection between art and science and i'm just thinking would you agree with that statement uh, yeah yeah absolutely it's definitely what it's about for me is the photography and the conveying of of something of a message of the beauty of the fragility of the places that you go um, and especially into places like London, where, you know, we've surrounded ourselves with kind of glass towers and, you know, concrete. Um, and, I, yeah, I, I do genuinely think we've got, you know, quite a disconnect with, with nature at the moment. And we've got some big problems because of that. So being able to, like, bring up that conversation, however it's going to be, so whether that's through photographing articles for magazines or, you know, putting work on a gallery wall, um, to be able to bring up that conversation somewhere where not people wouldn't necessarily um, have it otherwise. And I've always been quite dubious about that 
in, in terms, you know, as an artist about those kind of things. But for the exhibitions over the last five years, um, like the reaction from people is, uh, it, yeah, it's been quite strong. So it's kind of spurred me on to, yeah, try, I mean, that's really the future, I think, for me is, is trying to, you know, bring the message of these places, you know, into places they wouldn't otherwise be. Yeah, uh, and, and and that's kind of scraping the surface on the next next sort of question, which is which is essentially following on from from that and and your perfectly accurate description just there as well. Uh, I wanted to give you a bit of space to chat about the Cosmos work. Yeah, yeah. So that, I guess that's really been the culmination of um, mm. yeah the last like five to ten years uh, in the Himalaya uh, and around the world, really, in those mountain ranges. Is the fact that started making these bodies of work and coming back and exhibiting and travel photographer of the year, like great competition, but very much about place. Um, whereas I really wanted to say something a bit bigger because I was going to these places, um, the Karakoram for instance, and up in Pakistan, and you get so much negativity in the press. Um, I think from the UK, you only ever see one side of the story. And yeah. you go and spend time and the people are just absolutely incredible. Um, and you really realize that how much more we've all got in common, um, our common shared humanity, really. And like the ridiculous cultural things that we separate ourselves on are just bonkers. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the science as well was saying the same thing. Like, you know, the things we're washing down the drain in this country, you know, you're taking snow samples up at 8,000 meter peaks in the Himalaya or, you know, glaciers are melting. The fact that, you know, what we do on this, this side of the planet does affect everywhere in the world, like absolutely everywhere. Um, yeah. So that interconnectivity, really, um, that's what Cosmos really kind of became for me. Um, yeah. And it was actually in Patagonia, I was reading a book in 2016 of Alexander von Humboldt, and 200 years before like the modern kind of climate change movement, he was talking about how humans are impacting the world and, um, and his kind of explorations in South America and ascents of mountains like, led him to see nature in a different way and see it from a different perspective. And I was like, that's exactly you know, what, what I want to try and say. So, yeah, the, the Cosmos title was that really about going to these places, but the whole planet, you know, shifting our perspective from local to, you know, looking at the bigger picture and, yeah. That's so, I, I've had the same feeling as well. It's so wonderful when you're, when you're reading something. Uh, for me, it was something that I wouldn't have otherwise read, but, but you're doing something or you're reading something or you're seeing something and it just so happens to perfectly personify Absolutely. what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's important as well. Like it's, you know, the stuff, you know, like art and literature, those things like permeate the culture and they're what people begin to talk about within the culture. Um, yeah. So I, I think it is, you know, I, like I say, I was always slightly dubious, but like being to these places in the last five years and, you know, reading more and kind of exposing myself to different cultures, there's definitely, yeah, it's kind of expanded my perspective on stuff and it's really, yeah, trying, trying to share some of that, I think. Yeah. And I, I mentioned your photography on Makalu and the Lisa Norris Gallery, and I will put the link in the show notes because um, I think even if they've, um, I don't think they're going to sell it, are they? Because you can inquire for the exhibition in December, I think. Uh, yeah. So at, at the time of release, they'll technically still be for sale, but I have a feeling with only eight or each edition, you might be hard pressed to get, get one. But I'll leave that in there just just if people want to simply have a look. But you're talking about just going to that extent to photograph and, and, and capture these moments. This is a similar question to before, but more from the practical aspect. Yeah. So like I've already said, the photos of Makalu are just truly stunning. So what sort of risks and challenges did you go through in order to capture those beautiful moments? 
Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a constant in the mountains, really, I think. Yeah. Especially for me, that was, um, like, big lessons there for me. I was terrified for most of that trip. Like, it was a big mountain. Um, I've been mm. to the Himalayas before, like I said, but nothing, you know, on... Like, it was a, you Frostbite know, and that sort of thing. Actually hard mountain to climb, like, above, you know, 7,000 metres, most of it. Um, and a knife-edge ridge for pretty much seven kilometres. Um, so I was, yeah, I was fully terrified for a lot of it. Um, but I sometimes worry, actually, that, that like that kind of emotion like comes through in the work and that fear comes through in the work and you, you won't quite repeat it again once you get more experience. But um, but there's a really good lesson about surrounding yourself with good people there. Like, the team was fantastic. Um, and I was I was the weakest climber there, but I kind of I enjoyed that in a way because you just, you just learn so much. Mm. Um, but yeah, no big risks. I mean, when we were there in 2014 on Makalu, uh, what the, the cyclone hit in uh, on the Annapurna side, I think it was 50 people died there. Um, and on the base camp, the base camp we'd been at for about three months there, like uh, a young girl sadly died when we were coming out. Um, so that, and that was my real big first, you know, taste of a big mountain um, and that kind of perspective. Like, okay, you know, a lot of people, you know, can lose their lives doing this. It was it's serious stuff, yeah. Exactly, it was a sobering uh, realization. Um, kind of brings it home. And I think that's kind of definitely adjusted my risk assessment for for the other expeditions. The fact that okay, it's not always okay, and you do need to you know do everything you can to mitigate the risks. Um, yeah. And, and it actually, when I first came back from Macalew, I didn't want to go anywhere in the high mountains again. <laughs> hard experience, a really hard experience. Um, but yeah, it becomes like for uh, for me, it's about the photography, and it's it's become a bit of an addiction, really. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I saw a meme uh, just yesterday, actually, which had um, a, 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 the date that your last had a picture of a guy going, I'm never doing it again, never hiking, I'm absolutely knackered. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, like, you see, it's like two days afterwards, it's, like, it's got him on the computer planning his next expedition. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I but yeah, so, so the what I thought of when I saw that work wasn't no, I don't think any of the negative things you're, you're worried about was coming through the photos, but I saw it and all I can imagine was when I was a little bit worse about heights and when I'd go up a ladder, I'd be stood and I'd be so rigid in my legs because I don't want to fall off. Yeah. And you photographed a man walking along an knife edge ridge. And I just, I was thinking is where you were taking the photo. And I do this in all sorts of films as well. I always wonder what the, what the cameraman's doing, even if you're immersed in a film, but, um, so maybe it's just me, but, but I was thinking, are you on a, a better level, able to get the photo? Or have you clipped in safely? And you're trying to get like sort of fo- like one hand pistol shotting the camera and the other hand holding onto the side. Yeah. Yeah, no, that photo was, um, yeah, that's definitely, the, I think I know the one you're talking about, but that's, yeah, the hardest photo I've ever taken. Um, and that the clouds. Of, yeah, 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 that yeah. one. Um, it's weird. We, we got caught in a storm, like the only storm we got caught in the Macaloo. But a storm on the way up, and it's the only bit you have to abseil on this um, on this ridge. It's only about thirty feet or so, but it was literally like white out storm. Couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Um, it was almost to the point where you know you have to get the sleeping bags out, just clip onto the line, and, and spend them you know spend a few hours to wait for the, like the storm's going to pass. Um, and then we spent about a week up at seven thousand five hundred, um, and we've been on the mountain by a long time by then. <laughs> Um, I was pretty, like a couple of us were pretty sick. I was pretty sick and spent like the week in the tent, not being able okay, to go, okay. but also knowing that there's no rescue, hope of rescue unless you can like walk down yourself because mm. of the vertical like bit of ice that you have to climb. Um, so spent the kind of week in the tent, <laughs> wondering if I was going to get back down again. Um, 
<laughs> and then eventually, like, muscle, I literally couldn't get out of my sleeping bag. It was one of those, it's like, oh, this isn't like a great situation to be in with, with the doctor coming around and being like, oh, you'll, you'll be okay, I think. Like, just, uh, yeah, try and sleep it off. Um, but yeah, like a week later, like coming out of your sleeping bag um, and, and get into that, that section of ice. And then uh, Chris, my teammate, actually, he wasn't feeling too good either. Yeah, he was ahead of me. Um, and it's one of those moments where I did not want to take the photo whatsoever. Like, absolutely. But I did, that, that scene just needed to be, like, shared. Um, yeah, there's a compulsion, I think. It's a bit of a, yeah obsessive drive to be like, no, this needs to be, yeah, needs to be printed when we get back. And I imagine you're glad you did. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, the drop is about 2,000 metres straight back down to base camp, but there are fixed lines. We had fixed lines on Macaulay, so you are clipped in. Um, and then it was a question of, like, taking the backpack off, like, laying the camera on, like, getting a tripod out of those kind of altitudes. It's a pain. No. <laughs> um, and then the habit, actually, of, like, holding my breath when I'm taking the photo to steady the shot, that kind of, like, sticks with you. Um, but it's not a great idea at 7,500 metres. Yeah, at altitude as well. But, um, I'm just thinking, nah, let's, let's put less oxygen in me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got, got the shot and uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's probably, probably my favourite and most hard won photograph that one. Yeah. So we've mentioned the world-class Royal Marines training you've received and, and just clearly preparing you for the cold extreme, extremes of, to name some of the things you've done, the Karakoram, the Himalayas, Tajikistan, Patagonia and more. So... With all of this experience and passion for the high mountains, what are your views on getting into the hot, sticky and wet jungle? <laughs> I'm up for it, actually. It's so, so my partner, Lucy. Um, yeah, she, she's uh, just, just got back. Well, I say just got back from about six months ago now, but mm. back from the jungle. Um, but yeah, no, we are looking at, at planning a big jungle trip. I haven't spent a huge amount of time in the jungle. Um, it's, it's, I lived in, in Thailand for a couple of years when I was younger. Um, and went to the rainforest there and, and yeah. again actually it was my dad's friend who was a National Geographic freelance photographer um, so it's a bit of inspiration there but um, yeah mm. the jungle definitely appeals but uh, I do like the cold places though <laughs> they're, yeah they're, they're cleaner much easier to maintain stuff for sure I think the same I, I think so um, the, the the Lucy you're referring to uh, for for uh, listeners of the show is an interview with Lucy Shepherd. You can go back. Uh, I've actually interviewed Lucy. Uh, I say way back when. I think it was the beginning of June. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And we were talking. I can't remember if it was off camera, but we were talking about getting to the jungle. And and Lucy was saying how you, you know when you finish it and you're there, you're like, why do I go to the jungle? But then you think, no, no, like you get back a bit like that meme. You're you're planning it, but I just I don't know. I just don't think I could do the jungle. I just... <laughs> Like I so said, there's just so many parasites and, and like everything and wants stuff. to kill you, doesn't it? Like the environment in the mountain, kind of yeah. You know, you have to be careful with that. But there's nothing. It's pretty clean. Like yeah, there's nothing really there that can can kill you animal-wise. But yeah, the jungle, everything just seems to want to eat you. Yeah, Lucy's Lucy's a good person to bring with you. I think. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, she's leading the way on that one for sure. So last one, just before we get into some wrap-up questions. So. On this podcast, we usually invite people on to chat about a particular trip or itinerary that they did. So briefly, tell us how Patagonia was. Uh, yeah, that was another like incredible trip that I, I, say, I think we talked about it off camera, but how one <laughs> thing starts to lead to the other and that kind of leap of faith. Um, and that was certainly the case as me, with me in my photography career, just kind of doing one thing, self-funding a lot of stuff and you know, getting on military expedition and then winning an award and 
Um, yeah, so just like one thing leading to the other. Um, but yeah, the, the, Karakorum, uh, the Patagonia trip came around at the end of the Karakorum and literally got off the plane from, from the Karakorum after living on that, that glacier for two and a half months. <laughs> and then it was a dinner at the, the Explorers Club that evening. And uh, yeah, got introduced, like the sponsor from the Royal Geographical Society had sponsored our trip to the Karakorum. Um, she said, you've got to meet someone. Um, so she yeah, introduced me to Lucy. Um, and Lucy's, yeah, as you just mentioned, she's my partner now. And we've kind of five years of expeditions together. Um, but yeah, like, literally the first question she asked is like, do you want to come to Patagonia? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, the, the scene I'm imagining is from Wayne's World, uh, where he sees uh, Cassandra for the first time and is playing Dream Woman. <laughs> but uh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, um, yeah. So yeah, we, we ended up going to Patagonia. Uh, she was uh, organising a race for the hardest race on Earth, which is the Patagonia Expedition Race, or was. I'm not sure if the race is still going now. Um, yeah, and her team had just dropped out, and she was looking for for, for a last member, and yeah, happened happened to fit the bill. Um, yeah, unfortunately on that one, Lucy uh, broke her arm like about 24 hours into it, so we were out of the race. Um, but yeah, we ended up spending about three months in Patagonia, and yeah, exploring all sorts of places down there, and having yeah some close calls with cerebral edemas and. Not being able yeah. to climb in the mountains, we wanted Aconcagua because they closed it three weeks early and then just disappearing into the middle. I think it was the Cordon del Plata range and we spent about three or four weeks in there, just literally the only people in there, um, which actually turned out to be a better experience, I think, than, than Aconcagua would have been. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean just, I think, what, I mean, myself included in this, I think what people need to, re need to remember is that just because it's a, it's a famous peak doesn't mean it's the best experience in the region. Um, and, and actually... I was listening to an interview uh, with John Gupta on the Montaigne's Further, Further, Faster podcast. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the title. <laughs> um, it escapes my mind. But he was saying how a lot of clients come to him talking about summits all the time. Yeah. And, and, and some of his long-term clients have now come around to the idea that actually it's not always about the summit. It's also about, you know, they could be happy going around a mountain and have, to have a better experience. So yeah i completely agree absolutely like it really like and especially as a photographer if you're on like the big steep mountain it's not that great for photography like you're looking for the big ridges you're looking to be away from the mountain um and also just from a like i love going into those like really wild places and, and most of the expeditions have been in the last five years where you know there's no one else like it's you and a small team of people for three months um and everything is relying on you as a team like working together um, and if you don't do that, then, you know, obviously bad things can happen. But that feeling of like isolation and the clarity of thought you get there. Um, and like as a photographer, I find my work is like it needs that for the inspiration. Like if I'm surrounded by other people, I really struggle to, uh, yeah, to work. Yeah, for sure. And actually, just delving quickly as well, photography's just been the whole, it's just, I've just accepted it as the norm in, in our conversations. And you talk about choosing to take up as a as a passion, and you just mentioned earlier that your your uh, did you say your uncle was in Thailand as a National Geographic freelance photographer? Uh, no, it's a, it a friend's dad. Um, your friends, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, what was it that got you into photography as as a separate element, just out of interest? What, when did you first pick up a camera, and when did you decide it was mountains? Um, I think Makalu might be the answer to the second part, but yeah, yeah, yeah so. Yeah, for the photography, it's been, actually, I remember as, as Ice Icon was my dad's camera, 
Um, and I just fell in love with that camera as an object to start with. It must have been three or four, but like the weight of it, like the like the engraving on the metal, um, like the kind of mysterious numbers on it, which didn't have a clue, you know, what any of that meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like that as an object. That's one of my earliest memories, I think, is picking up that camera, like the leather case on it. Um, and then when I was eight, I went to the Falklands with my father for a month. Um, my uncle was killed. Uh, he was a Sea Harrier pilot, and he was killed in the Falklands conflict down there. Oh, wow. Uh, but um, yeah, so we, we went down for a month when I was eight and I just kind of fell in love with everything. I, want, I wanted to join the Royal Marines. I wanted to be a photographer. And yeah. I wanted, wanted to be an explorer. Um, yeah, and it kind of, it, it stuck ever since then, really. Um, but yeah, the wow. mountains were, were quite a long time after. Um, yeah, probably yeah. 2010, really. But um, yeah, first Himalayan trip, which, yeah, say jumping in at the deep end, like wasn't a climber before that by any stretch of the imagination. Like my friend had like taken me up and down Idwell slabs. Um, in fact, I did learn to abseil on the top of Tarpu Chile, which is a five and a half thousand meter in the Himalaya. <laughs> what a place to learn. <laughs> asked me if I could abseil, and I can abseil, but in the Marines it's quite different because it's usually all set up by the mountain leaders and then you just get on a rope with a figure eight device and jump off. Um, so actually setting up your own abseil, like when you're kind of racked with altitude sickness at five and a half thousand meters is quite different. <laughs> you gave me a quick lesson and we made it down. So. Oh, wow. That's incredible. In, in fact, you know, it, it makes me so many of these interviews I do always reminds me of a quote uh, by Victoria Erickson. And I'm not going to try and paraphrase it because I will butcher it. So the general gist of it is she says she loves the beauty of sand dunes, the oceans, forests. But there's something about mountains that that brings her back each time. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. yeah, there is there is just something about them, isn't there? Something undescribable. There, I think like yeah. the scale of them, it kind of puts you know, with like nothing else in a way. But you know, the geological time scales or cosmological time scales it really puts your kind of existence into perspective. I think. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm much more comfortable on the water overall. Um, but yeah, the mountains is a uh, yeah, they just draw me back. Like yeah, I love them. Perfect. So whilst we're casting our mind back to uh, sort of getting into photography, let's do our first wrap-up question, which is, if you could go back to one of your expeditions and either do it again or do it differently, which one would it be? And it doesn't have to be the one that I'm thinking of that you might be thinking of too, because uh, <laughs> we haven't talked about all of your expeditions, but but go ahead. Uh, I think it'd probably be Makalu. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just like the most beautiful mountain I've been on. Absolutely stunning. Um, like, yeah, the, the fluted peaks and the ridge line, and yeah, it, it'd probably be Makalu. Um, would you be wanting to do something differently about it? Um, Other than Summit? And Summit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> summit at this time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to take that route again. I mean, it, it's a long, it's a hard, hard slog up the Southeast Ridge, but um, yeah, I, I would like to try it again, I think. Yeah, for sure. So, What's one piece of kit that you won't leave, won't leave home without? Um, probably the, the chest pouch for my camera. That's probably my, my most precious bit of kit. Oh, uh, we talked about that before uh, we hit record. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, that saves. Yeah, it's so it's all on my chest ready to go. Um, yeah, yeah. Best, best bit of kit. Straight away to hand so you can get out because the last thing you want on is the clouds to be in perfect position and you have to unhoist your bag, open it up. And I think the term I used because we we're talking about bags was the black hole. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as it goes in the bag, like you never take it out, so you never get any photographs. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be out somewhere. <laughs> Although I do find above about 6,000 meters, it starts to press on the chest a little bit. <laughs> so, a bit yeah. of rarefied air. 
Perfect. And then the last question is, in all of your career so far, what is one moment that you would love to relive? That's a good question. Um, I think probably the post-expedition on, on Denali, um, just because that was quite an intense experience being out there as well. And again, like people, you know, a lot, lot of people have got in trouble. Um, but kind of afterwards rather than there, like it was pretty hard work at the time. I'd say like 200 pounds a kit, cold temperatures, just the four of us. But the fact that we'd gone there on a shoestring budget, we'd done it as a really small four-man team or four-person team. Um, and then come, but that feeling of getting off the mountain, I think we did like a 20 hour day on the way out so we could just push and get the plane off the glacier. Wow. But when we got back down to Talkeetna, like, yeah, that, that feeling of, um, yeah, we did it and we're still alive. Um, yeah, I, I love those feelings. Perfect. Perfect. Well, listen, Tim, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Is there anything else you want, you want to say before, before we go? Um, if you're free to plug your website. Uh, yeah, well, it's being rebuilt at the moment. But yeah, timtaylorphotography.com. Um, uh, Timtaylor underscore photography on Instagram, like if you want to check out any of the work. Um, and yeah, we'll have some more exhibitions coming up in, in London this, this winter. So. And expeditions coming up as soon as we can travel again. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm hoping that, yeah, year's end, but we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've got Mount Triglav and Mount Tubkul booked. <laughs> so here's hoping. <laughs> because yeah. i'm impatient as it is <laughs> you know i hope it starts to get back to normal for sure perfect well listen thank you so much and i'll, I'll, I'll see you in the next one absolutely thank you so much so i really really hope you enjoyed that interview i certainly did and i'm looking forward to welcoming tim back next week for the Karakoram anomaly <laughs> episode i've said it correctly that time if you enjoyed the episode then please subscribe please follow share it with a friend as well that's the best way for us to grow and if you want to email me, it's btmtravelpod at gmail.com, btmtravelpod on social media. But otherwise, have an amazing day, and I will see you in the next one.